Good morning. For the fall, we were working through the book of Romans, and then we had a little thing called Advent come up, um, and so we took a break from the book of Romans, and now we're going to dive back into the book of Romans. Uh, Jeff worked all the way up through the chapter, to chapter 6 of the book of Romans, and we're going to focus on the second half this morning. And I think, uh, for me, the best part about the book of Romans is the use of repetition. The first half of Romans 6 is talking about being dead to sin and alive in Christ. The second half of chapter 6 really is repeating that truth and expanding upon it. Um, And we're going to see similar themes when we go to chapter 7 as well. But in chapter 6, Paul here is going to use a very helpful analogy to try to help prove his point. That was what previously stated in chapter 6. And I love analogies, but I love repetition. I know everybody is different. I learn best with repetition. So this and a lot of Paul's writing is right up my alley because I love repetition. I know everybody is different, but I learn best with repetition. So this and a lot of... okay. All right, you get the joke. With that, let's read Romans 6, starting at verse 14 all the way through 23. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its ends eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. God, we pray that our hearts and our minds are open to that truth this morning and that we can be changed by you. I give all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. Just a heads up, this intro is kind of more of a, a recap of some of the things found in Romans. Um, and I, because I know it's been a few weeks uh, since we looked at Romans, so bear with me for a little bit. 
But for the eagle-eyed among you, you may have noticed that the title of this message is Life and Death. And that kind of sets the tone to be a little intense. And rightfully so, this passage does talk about life and death. So it might seem a bit heavy, but I think it's the reality of our situation. And let's try to break it down by talking about socks. You guys heard of these things? Socks? There's a brand of socks called Bomba Socks. Have you heard of that? Bomba Socks, okay. If you listen to any podcast, they all promote Bomba Socks at this point, it seems. I have a lot of Bomba Socks. Specifically, I have a very specific style of Bomba Sock, and on these socks, there's either an L or an R on it. And that's to distinguish which one goes on your left foot or your right foot. This might lead you to some questions. I have them as well. First question, why? <laughs> Does it really matter which foot, which seemingly identical sock goes on? Probably not. But I am not a scientist. I am not a sock designer. I have left that up to the professionals. Second question, and what I think is the most intriguing and important question If I were to put on two socks that were both meant for my left foot, would I instinctively just walk in circles? (laughs) This is a question that I will never have the answer to because I am a coward. (laughs) And I have yet to be able to muster the courage and strength to break this rule of placing a right sock on the right foot and a left sock on the left foot. What am I talking about? Bombas... Bombas designed and created socks to be used in a specific way. Whether I agree or disagree with it is besides the point. Because it's their product, they made the rules, and you're supposed to use their socks as directed by their design. In the same way, God created rules for all of us to live by. Whether we like it or not, we are required to live and uphold these rules. In other words, we're required to uphold God's law. It goes all the way back into the Garden of Eden, right? Laid out, God laid out rules for Adam and Eve. And simply put, Adam and Eve, you obey God's rules and law, you live. You disobey God's rule and law, you will die. That's the reality of Adam and Eve's situation, and it's also our reality today. We still are bound to these same stipulations, right? If we obey God, we live. If we disobey God, we die. And that brings us back to the title, Life and Death. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. At the end of our passage, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, and yet there is hope. In Romans 5.8, it says, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our reality. This is God's design. This is the truth found in all of Scripture, repeated over and over again, especially in the book of Romans. Whether you like it or not, these are the rules that God has authored and laid out for us. We are sinners. We need saving. And Jesus is the only one who can save us. So we are to submit to God's rule and reign. Submit to the fact that our only way to life is Jesus. And now we have to navigate how to live in a broken and fallen world, a world that is often at odds with God's plan because of the sin dwelling in it. This, again, is our reality. 
But as Christians, there's beauty to our reality. Because we are released from the law. We are free from the law. Instead, we are covered in grace. And verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We are forgiven in full from all of our sins, past, present, and future. That's only due because of the grace of God. If you are someone who loves loopholes, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I guess I'm off the hook for trying to follow God's rules and law. No matter what I do, God will forgive me. So does it really matter what I do? To which Paul addresses you specifically in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Paul then paints this picture using what some commentators call the slave and master or the owner and servant analogy. One commentator says this, Every man is the servant of the master to whose commands he yields himself. We as human beings, no matter how strong and powerful we think we are, we are a slave to something. And I know the term slave has a very negative weight to it in the history of the world, in our country, and rightfully so. But this analogy is big, it's heavy. Paul's using these words specifically because of the relationship between a master and their slave. And with that, let's see how Paul explains what it is like for someone to serve their old master, and that is the master of sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Before you accepted Christ, before you submit your life to him, before you were this new creation, we lived a life described by Paul in verse 19, saying, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, before we experience this new creation, before, as Ezekiel says, our heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh, we were bound to and crippled by sin. We were slaves to sin. We were controlled by sin, motivated by it. Our being, even if we didn't realize it or not, was serving the sin in our lives. We continue to break God's law. We rejected God's rules. We tried to live life outside of what God wants for us. And the sin will snowball. And eventually it becomes what we crave and what we desire. One of the greatest songwriters to ever exist, and I won't put it up for debate because it shouldn't be, is a guy named John Prine. He has a song named Sam Stone, which is one of the best songs, in my opinion, but also one of the saddest songs ever written. The song follows a man's life, a man who was a recipient of a purple heart. But when he returned home, he became addicted to heroin. The song follows the rest of Sam Stone's life, losing all that he had and eventually his life to his addiction. The last stanza starts off like this. Sam Stone was alone when he popped his last balloon, climbing walls while sitting in a chair while he played his last request, while the room smelled just like death, with an overdose hovering in the air. 
Parker often says that I listen to very depressing music. And it's hard to argue against that point. But sin is like Sam Stone's addiction. It will continue to grow and spiral. Eventually, it leads to our deaths. Not to step on Jeff's toes for chapter 7, but Paul talks about the weight that sin holds, even on his own life. He exclaims, who will deliver me from this body of death? We, without the grace of God, would not be able to break the cycle of sin. It's impossible, in fact, without God. The old master of sin is clever and tricky. And on top of the pain and misery that it can bring in our life, if we were to submit to it, if we were to never find a new master, the old master will pay our wages. And unfortunately, the recompense we receive is death. God's rules still apply. Obey and live. Disobey and die. And if you think that your sin is not that bad, it's not worthy of death, or if you play the compare game saying, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than this person or that person, the reality is God's rules still apply. Anything other than perfect obedience to God's law means death. Even if you think your sin is small, you think it doesn't count, it's not hurting anyone, even if your sin makes you feel good or you think it is worth it, the reality is that no matter what, If you stay under the rule of the master of sin, you will die. One commentator says it in this regard, the end of sin is death. Though the way may seem pleasant and inviting, yet it will be bitterness in the latter end. And this should lead us to search, to find a way to follow the Spirit's call in our life, to break this hold that our old master has on us. And search for a new one. And luckily there is one. Luckily there is hope. We don't have to buy our freedom ourselves. In our passage today, our new master takes the name of obedience, of righteousness. Many commentators call it the master of grace. Or to simplify it even further, in verse 22, our new master that we are to serve and obey and be a slave to is God. So let's look at our new master. Another commentator compared the two masters this way. The difference between them is the ends to which they lead. Sin pays wages to its servants, the wages being death. God does not pay his servants mere wages. He gives them something better, much more generous. His grace he gives life eternal as a free gift. That life eternal which is theirs by union with Christ. The second half of verse 19 says, Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's a big contrast between the first half of verse 19, saying that when you were a slave to sin, you were a slave to lawlessness, and that led to more lawlessness, sin leading to more sin. But our new master, rooted in grace, in mercy, in love, and compassion, our new master in God leads to righteousness and sanctification. Jeff talked about righteousness a few weeks ago. I like to think about righteousness as the idea of you are in the right standing of somebody. So if God looks at you and counts you as righteous, you are on his good side. You are in a right standing with him, a right standing in the court of law even. 
you are seen as upright and respectable and even perfect. If you're a slave to righteousness, like Paul is encouraging us to be, this leads to a life where we are now fixated on living out the attributes of being righteous. And this ongoing work of being a slave to righteousness leads to our sanctification. This does not mean we will not struggle. It does not mean we will be perfect. But it means we have a fighting chance to avoid and triumph over the temptation to fall under the rule of sin. This newfound strength we gain from God, from leaving our old master and living under our new. One commentator says it this way. There is strength in the covenant of grace for us. Sin shall not have dominion. God's promises to us are more powerful and effectual for mortifying sin than our promises to God. Sin may struggle in a real believer and create him a great deal of trouble, but it shall not have dominion. It may vex him, but it shall not rule over him. The master of grace frees us from the dominion of sin. This freedom is not due to the power of the slave, but the power of the master. Another commentator says this, instead Paul points out that the master's authority over a slave is at an end when the slave passes into the ownership of a new master. Once, says Paul, you were slaves of sin. Sin was your master, and you were forced to do all the evil things that sin ordered you to do. You had no power to say no, but now you have passed from the service of sin into the service of God. Your business now is to do what pleases God, not what sin dictates. And that is how we are to live under this new master. It's not going to be easy, but it's how we are called to live. It's going to be probably the hardest thing that we ever do. And it's not to earn our own eternal life, but it's out of respect and honor for the one who has already earned it for us. Another commentator says this, Though the way is uphill, though it is narrow, thorny, and beset, yet everlasting life at the end of it is sure. The gift of God is eternal life, and the gift is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ purchased it, prepared it, prepares us for it, preserves us to it. He is the all in all in our salvation. Simply put, the old master of sin leads to death. The new master of grace leads to life. And to go back to Paul's rhetorical question at the start of our passage, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And that brings us to the rules. Are anybody at board game people here? You guys like board games? Yeah. You might be aware that some board games tend to have a lot of rules and can be overly complicated. I have a buddy, Ross, who in our friend group is the rule king. No matter the game, if somebody is lost or has a question and needs clarification, everybody raises their drink, says, the rules, and Ross explains the rule, or he looks it up for us. Some games are harder than others. All that to say, living under our new master provides us with the free gift of eternal life. We do not need to work for it or earn it in any way that is done for us in Jesus Christ. But just because we are released from the law and the death sentence that it gives to us sinners doesn't mean we can avoid how God has called us to live. 
the fruit we produce with our actions. The ability for us to follow God's law is a way for us to show that we truly understand what God has done for us and accepting the Spirit's call in our life. I know I have used a lot of quotes here, but I think other people's do goods words better than me's. So here are two more quotes. The law demanded obedience, but grace supplies the will and the power to obey. Hence, grace breaks the mastery of sin as law could not. And what can be a stronger motive against sin than the love of Christ? Shall we sin against so much goodness and such love? See, when we cling to our new master, we are free from the power that sin has on us. As the Spirit is moving in us and leads us to obey God's law, we are free from the law. We no longer have to live under the curse of death because of our sin. Once we can look forward to the fact that we've gained eternal life because of the grace of God, our response is to follow the rules. And the beauty of these rules that we are to live by lies in their simplicity. It's not like a board game, and it's not like the Cheesecake Factory. Let me explain. Is anybody a Cheesecake Factory fan here? Nobody? Nobody's Cheesecake? All right, sweet. I'm not going to step on any toes then. My problem with the Cheesecake Factory is not the decor, even though I don't understand the connection between ancient Egypt and cheesecake. My problem with the Cheesecake Factory is the menu. It's like 50 pages long, right? So you spend a week getting lost in this menu, finding what you want for dinner, and then you eat it, and it's just meh. (laughs) But then you go back into the atrocity of a menu, and you have to navigate 50 more pages of cheesecake flavors. I will be honest. I did write that original bit as the Randolph Diner, but I didn't want to incredibly offend a lot of people. (laughs) So... I exaggerate to tease and to joke to make a point about complexity. See, the rules we have to live by, they do not need to be overly complicated. Like a board game, again, like a 50-page menu. I've said this before, and honestly, I will say it every chance I get, because if there are any rules that we are to live by, to uphold, they're the commands we get from Jesus himself. When he was asked, what is most important? What did Christ say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So practically speaking, the rule to live by, it's not complicated. The response we should have as we leave our old master and cling to our new master is... Love. Love everyone. Jeff read a passage from 1 John 4, and it was all about love. St. Augustine of Hippo, all the way back, late 300s, early 400s, he commented on that specific passage saying this, For many things can appear to be good and not proceed from the root of charity. Therefore, once for all, this short command is given to you, Love and do what you will, 
If you keep silent, keep silent by love. If you speak, speak by love. If you correct, correct by love. If you pardon, pardon by love. Let love be rooted in you. And from this root, nothing but good can grow. So church, let's celebrate that we are free from the master of sin. A master that will only lead to death. Let us celebrate that we have a master of grace that grants the free gift of eternal life. Celebrate that we are free from the curse of death and that we can experience life forevermore. Celebrate that Jesus Christ had arrested death so that we can live. And as we wait for Christ to come and make all things new, just do one simple thing and love. Let's pray.